Today's Bible reading comes from Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Hallelujah. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her blood of his servants, and again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, we probably all know that marriage as an institution might be on the wane in our society, but there's nothing like a celebrity wedding to get tongues talking and people speculating about the details of the wedding in the build-up to the big event. When celebrities get married, millions and sometimes even billions of people want to be in on it to be able to witness the occasion and share in the joy of the famous couple being married. Now, usually we do that by checking out the wedding photos or perhaps by watching the event being broadcast on TV. For example, when Prince Harry married Meghan Markle back in 2018, it was estimated that 1.9 billion people ended up watching that wedding on TV or online. Now, that certainly eclipses the 10 million or so that watched Kim Kardashian marry Chris Humphreys. Does anyone remember that one? It's okay if you don't because Kim and Chris subsequently divorced each other a touch over two months later. So much for till death us do part. Anyway, when it comes to celebrity weddings, watching it on TV is okay, but just imagine being invited to attend a celebrity wedding in person. Imagine having a seat among the guests when Charles married Diana or when David married Victoria? What about when Brad married Jennifer or when William married Kate? And how can we forget when Harry married Meghan? No doubt you're all getting so excited 
just imagining being present on a big occasion like that. But friends, I've got to tell you, there's a wedding you've been invited to that smashes those celebrity weddings out of the park in terms of excitement, grandeur, and significance. It's the wedding of Jesus the Lamb with his bride, the church. Now, according to Revelation 19, more than anything else, this wedding is going to be characterized by praise. After God defeats Antichrist and destroys his kingdom, a loud sound emanating from the large multitude of God's people in heaven will be heard shouting out praise to God for the victory that he's won. Hallelujah, the salvation and glory and power of our God. The word hallelujah or hallelujah is a Hebrew word that literally means praise Yah, with Yah being the abbreviation of the divine name Yahweh. Hallelujah, praise Yahweh. And here we see Yahweh's people praising him because of his salvation and glory and power. God's glorious power to save has just been displayed by executing his judgment against Babylon, the prostitute, who's corrupted the earth through her idolatry and who's put to death many of God's servants and shed their blood. In chapters 17 to 18, we noted how Babylon, the prostitute, symbolizes the kingdom of Antichrist. But here we see God bringing judgment down upon this corrupt and corrupting kingdom. By defeating this kingdom, God will stop the corruption and avenge the blood of his servants who've lost their lives in the face of persecution. In verse 3, we hear God's people repeating their praise, hallelujah, because the judgment exercised against this kingdom will be full and final. Its smoke will burn forever. The kingdom of Antichrist will be totally and eternally destroyed. Friends, just think about this. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. God's judgment on the Antichrist and his kingdom will usher in an eternal era of perfect peace and utter joy in which the most common sound heard will be the sound of voices singing praise to our great and glorious God. And it's not just going to be God's people who praise him. The 24 elders symbolising the leaders of the combined people of God from the old covenant as well as the new, they also, along with the four cherubim, the guardians of God's holy space, will respond to the alleluias of God's people by saying amen in agreement and then they'll add in their own alleluias as well 
Here we see the praises of God's people will be acknowledged and echoed by the angels of heaven. What a wonderful wedding this is going to be. Heaven is going to be a concert hall reverberating with the euphonies and harmonies of perfect praise. In fact, praise will be the order of the day. In verse 5, we hear a voice coming forth from the throne in heaven calling upon God's people, all those who serve and fear him, no matter their social status, whether they're great or small, VIPs or plebs, all of God's servants are called upon to praise our God. This is an important command. The voice that comes from the throne is usually the voice of God. But even if it indicates here the voice of an angel, it's the voice of someone located in the heart of heaven itself. This is a command coming directly from the top. After the victory that God has won, praising God is the appropriate response. And after this order is given, John hears God's people lifting up their voices in praise once again. And the way it's described, if anything, the praise is even more fervent than it was before. In fact, it's so loud that John has trouble describing it. This time round, John hears something like, the sound of a loud, large crowd. But in addition, he describes it as something like the sound of many waters and something like the sound of strong thunderclaps. This mention of the sound of many waters and the sound of strong thunderclaps matches up with the description of the sound of the 144,000 back in Revelation 14 who were singing a new song in praise of our great and awesome God. So overall, this is a picture of the praise of all of God's people, including those who've gone through the final tribulation. The concert hall of heaven will be filled to overflowing with praise, a kind of praise unique in its harmony and volume a sweet, almost indescribable sound never, ever heard before, but sung to be heard from that day on forever and evermore. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. By destroying the Antichrist and his kingdom, God has defeated the usurper. He's taken back control of the world from Satan. He's reasserted his role and his might as king over creation. And that's why we're to rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. Friends, the wedding of the Lamb is when Jesus returns to be joined to his people, the church, 
in a perfect spiritual union. This wedding will establish an eternal union of love and harmony between God and his people, and this will mark the starting point when the rule and blessing of God is fully actualized within creation. Notice how the praise of God's people in verses 7 and 8 touches upon how in the lead-up to the wedding of the Lamb, the wife of the Lamb has prepared herself for the occasion. She's been given clean, bright linen to wear, and we're told that the linen symbolises the righteous deeds of the saints. Here we see that the righteous deeds performed by God's people in the power of the Spirit get us ready for our wedding day with Jesus. Now, we all know a wedding is a special occasion. It doesn't just happen. You need to prepare for it. And one of the key items to get ready is the wedding dress. We can't have the bride looking drab or turning up in singlet and thongs. No, out of respect for the occasion, out of a hope for perfection and a longing for beauty, the tradition is for the bride to get herself ready for this new relationship of union with her husband and to appear on that day as beautiful and as brilliant as is reasonably possible. Just as a bride prepares for her wedding day, so too we as God's people are to prepare for the wedding of the Lamb. Just as Jesus sacrificed himself out of love for us, so too we're to model sacrificial love in our relationship with God and each other. You see, God's put us here for a reason. He wants us to get ready for the wedding of the Lamb by doing what's right as we model in our own lives the righteousness of Christ. After hearing all of this praise in heaven, the Apostle John, he next hears the angel tell him specifically to write down the following words. Blessed are those who have been invited to the supper of the wedding of the Lamb. Now, friends, I'm not sure what you would consider to be the best wedding ever. For those of you happily married, then chances are you reckon the best wedding ever was your own. You have the right to think that and good on you if you do. We certainly know that the best wedding ever wasn't Kim's wedding with Chris. But please keep in mind that no wedding here on earth, no matter how big, no matter how extravagant, no matter how famous the celebrities involved, no earthly wedding can ever compare with the wedding of the Lamb. For starters, assuming you're already getting ready for it, the wedding of the Lamb is not just someone's wedding. 
It's actually your wedding. If you're one of God's people, you're actually going to be centre stage. And secondly, think about who you're going to be marrying. Sure, your current husband or wife might be wonderful, but in comparison with the creator of the universe, I think we have to say that really, with all due respect, there's no comparison. (laughs) When the day for the wedding of the Lamb comes along, you're actually going to see Jesus in the flesh for the very first time and be bowled over by his beauty. Friends, being part of the wedding of the Lamb, it really should be our main goal in life. This is the biggest event in the history of the cosmos, and God has invited us to be part of it. We've got to be there. Friends, this is definitely an invitation not to miss. We need to accept the invitation and to be clear on how to do that. Even John, after receiving this news, he strangely lost his head temporarily and started bowing down to the angel who was speaking with him. The angel said to him, don't do that. Worship God. And this applies to us too. We need to make sure that our focus is on worshipping God, not anyone or anything else. Through worshipping God, we accept the invitation and we get ourselves ready for our wedding with Jesus. In particular, this passage encourages us to do righteousness in obedience to God and to praise him because of the great victory that he will win over the forces of evil. Now, I know it's true that Jesus hasn't returned yet, and as the book of Revelation has already told us, it's true there are going to be difficult days ahead for God's people. But this preview that Revelation 19 gives us of the future alleluias of praise filling heaven, this preview has been revealed to us early in order that we might start praising God now. God's victory over Babylon is inevitable. And this means preemptive praise is totally appropriate. The war has not yet finished, but victory is assured. So in knowing this, let's make sure we prepare ourselves for our wedding with Jesus the Lamb by continuing to sing hallelujahs to God as we walk in obedience to him. Friends, it's going to be the best wedding ever. Make sure you accept the invitation and see you there. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that in getting towards the end of this fascinating book, the book of Revelation, we are finally starting to see the totality of your victory over the forces of evil. And today we see the rejoicing that will take place in heaven after the victory against Babylon, the kingdom of Antichrist, has been won. There'll be multitudes of people singing multitudes of hallelujahs to our great and awesome God. And this little snapshot of the future, you've given it to us, Lord, in order that we now preemptively might be able to worship and praise you too because we know where history is headed and because we know that your victory is assured. But we know the book of Revelation tells us there will be difficult days ahead for your people. But we thank you for this vision of victory and celebration that we see here in this passage. And, Lord, we pray that no matter what might happen to us in the future, no matter how dark the days might be, we ask that you will always help us to keep this vision of victory and celebration in mind so that we will always follow you, praising you and seeking to do what's right in obedience to you. Lord, as we do that, we know we are preparing ourselves for that great day, preparing ourselves for the biggest event in the history of the world, the wedding of the Lamb. Please help each one of us, Lord, to accept the invitation to attend that wedding and to make sure that we're present there on that day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this invitation. And we look forward to the wedding of the Lamb to come. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got one on Padlet for you, Rev. Stephen. Great question from this person. Oh, another one just come in. First question, what does it mean to be married to God? Can you? It's a bit of a strange concept. It might be a strange yeah. concept for people. <laughs> Can you explain that a bit more for us? Yeah, it is a little bit of a strange concept, I guess, but that just goes to show that we're used to marriage here on earth. But in some ways, when you think about it, God's actually given marriage here on earth ultimately as a kind of picture for his purposes for this world. Think about when God created the world back in the beginning, well, to some extent he didn't need to create the world, did he? There's no reason for him to do that. But in creating the world, he did so for a purpose, and that is ultimately to share himself. And just as he has eternal oneness within himself, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit, there's this eternal oneness, this eternal unity within God, so too he's created creatures and human beings being the supreme of all those creatures with the view to sharing that sense of community and oneness 
and unity with those creatures. And so this concept of marriage, which exists between husband and wife, this has been instituted in part it's to uh, get the world ready for when the king comes through babies being born, the human population increasing, but also this sense of physical and spiritual union, which is the ideal when it comes to husband and wife. This is meant to be a picture of spiritual union between Christ and his church. And so really all it's talking about is this wonderful sense of oneness and intimacy and spiritual unity that the church, the members of the church, we believers, where we experience it now in terms of our relationship with God, but it's leading up to a point on the day of the wedding when Jesus returns that we will be able to see him face to face and actually experience the fullness of unity with God. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. So it's a spiritual union. That's what it's talking about here. Great. Uh, If that person has any more follow-up questions, they can put them in. Uh, Next question. What is the smoke in verse 3 of the passage we read today? The smoke in verse 3, I think that's the smoke of the kingdom, isn't it? The kingdom of Antichrist that's being burnt up. Yes, so it says the smoke from her. So it's talking about Babylon. So Babylon, the city, which was talked about in chapters 17 and 18, uh, we've talked about how Babylon symbolises the kingdom of Antichrist and in a broader sense too, Babylon symbolises the enemies of God's people throughout time. But really I think in terms of where the end chapters of the book of Revelation are looking forward to, there's going to be an end time rebellion against God led by the Antichrist and the city, the capital city of the place where the Antichrist rules is pictured here in Revelation as Babylon. So Babylon's going to be dealt with, it's going to be destroyed and the smoke from Babylon is going to go up forever and ever. So that's basically saying the kingdom of Satan and Antichrist is going to be destroyed forever. It's going to be an eternal mess, and never, ever again will it be established to cause trouble on earth. Thank you. Great question. Um, Next question, or the next person says, marriage between God and the church is a really strong theme in Revelation and throughout the Bible. How do you explain the importance of this theme to non-Christians and LGBT-inclined people? That's a big question, that one. Um, Like, yeah, uh, how many minutes do you want me to speak for here on this one? But I think when it comes to the issue of well, there's the issue of same-sex marriage and all of that. Um, as Christians, we are committed to the worldview that has been revealed to us by God in Scripture, okay? So we believe in a God who created this world for a reason. He has his purposes there, and we can learn about those purposes as we read the Bible. And so as we read the Bible, we see that God created male and female as a picture of the ultimate spiritual union which is going to take place between Christ and his church. 
And so I think there's something important about male and female and the ability to produce children. It's not to say that all couples will have children, but there's a picture of life there. There's a picture of life, a life that God has given us, and we celebrate that as we come together as husband and wife in marriage to, in a sense, recreate, to recreate life. It's a picture of life. It's a picture of blessing. And this whole issue of same-sex marriage and uh, LGBT, all of that, is really just a different worldview coming in. They don't have that worldview undergirding their way of thinking about sex or marriage anymore. And the question really is, well, what is their worldview? And it's basically just whatever they want to do or whatever they think is good. Uh, So when it comes to talking about this, I would say uh, if you're dealing with people who have these views, you've really got to get back to the basics. You've really got to go back to the beginning, really. You've got to talk about, well, does God exist? If he does exist, why did he create the world? And if he created the world, well, how can we know about his purposes for the world? And so on that point of view, the Christian message is quite logical. There's a God who created the world for a purpose. He's revealed that purpose to prophets and apostles whose message has been written down that we can get to know. And so we as Christians, we're committed to that worldview. We want to celebrate life, right? When it comes to two males or two females doing whatever, is that a celebration of life? Life can't result from that. It's actually, if everyone does that, humanity dies. No future. So we're into life. We should celebrate that. Okay. If that person has any more questions, feel free to put them into Padlet as well. Um, Our next question is like looking ahead, so not from today's passage, but maybe you can give us like a five-second version, Steve. Um, what, what is the meaning of the in blood in verse 13? I preempted you there because I could see the question on the screen. Uh, I might be stepping on John's toes here, I think, is it John next week? But uh, the robe dipped in blood, I think it's a picture of uh, Jesus, isn't it? Yes. Jesus did suffer and die, but also it's a picture of Jesus going forth in victory as well. So. I won't go any further. I'll leave that up to John to unpack that more next week. That person, come back next week. Send us that question <laughs> into the Padlet next week. Um, last question we've got on Padlet. Will there be Christians who will not make it to the wedding? Well, it depends on how you define Christian. Uh, in the Bible, Christian is generally described as someone who has accepted Jesus and been baptised. And there are... Some instances in the Bible where those Christians who have accepted Jesus initially and been baptised, right, who do fall away. So on that definition, there are some Christians who will not make it to the wedding, okay? But for those who are truly Christians, if you want to put it in that sense, those who accept Jesus and who have been baptised, generally speaking, and who persevere, right, perseverance here is important. Ongoing faith is important. Right, It's not just we do a deal with God back, you know, 10 years ago and that's it. No, we are called to an ongoing walk of faith. And that ongoing walk of faith leads to the wedding of the Lamb. 
So, yes, there can be some people who have expressed an interest in Jesus or even an initial faith in Jesus. If they do not persevere, then they'll be excluded from that wedding because, in a sense, they haven't wanted to be there in the first place. Okay. Uh, thanks for that, Rev. Stephen. Uh, anything on Zoom, John? Oh, anyone here have any questions? No. Okay. Thank you, Rev. Stephen. No worries. Okay. Uh, well, that's the end then, everyone. Uh, I hope that was helpful for you as usual. If you've got any more questions later on through the week, feel free to message John or Rev. Stephen. If you haven't got Rev. Stephen to contact, I'm sure John can put you in touch with him. <laughs>